As we are gathered now around God's word, let's ask the Lord for his help. Father in heaven, we in each of our places ask that you would speak by your Holy Spirit. As we engage with your word, would you open our hearts to you? Give us the will to receive and would you uh, accept the honor in this, uh, our willingness to hear and receive, would that be to your glory? In Jesus' name. Well, good morning. Uh, there was a great account this week in the GAFCON daily message. I don't know if you've had a look at that. You can sign up and get a, a daily devotional message from GAFCON. And in the message one day, uh, there's an account of a theological student in Kenya. And it said before he came to train for ordination, Akubo spent several years as an evangelist in an area where there were very few Christians. And his task was to preach the gospel uh, in the marketplace, in the outlying settlements around the villages. It was hard work, and Akubo often walked long distances to, to reach these villages. However, his preaching was meeting with very little success. There, there were not converts. Uh, after a couple of years, um, there was no church where he was preaching. They were resistant. And eventually, the time came for Kubo to leave and to start his theological training. And uh, he was heavy-hearted. He was thinking about his work over those couple of years, feeling like it had been a failure. Akubo was packing up and... He looked up and saw a delegation of tribal elders from that tribe he'd been among standing at his door. We've come to ask you to stay with us, they explained. Kubo was puzzled by this, but you have not accepted the message about Jesus, he replied. Looking earnest, they responded, we don't want you to go because we have seen Jesus in your love for us and now We've decided that we want to know him. That is a mysterious reality. There is a mysterious reality at work that if we know God, we make him known to those around us. Even without speaking, we make him known. And sometimes they like that, those around us, and sometimes they don't like that as we make our God known. Underlying this reality is something so basic and yet so essential that defines who God's people are and what we're to do as his people. It's the hopeful message, the hopeful reality that God can be known. He can be known. And that though we were lost, he came to find us so that we can know him. And God's people are those who have been found through the work of Jesus Christ, been found, and now we get to make him known. So to know God and to make him known, to know God and make him known, that is the heartbeat of our eternal life, the heartbeat of who we are as God's people, those who know him and make him known. Well, this was the mission of the church that came on the day of Pentecost as Peter stood up among the crowd, 
He gave the amazing news that God had come to earth in Jesus Christ, that he had reconciled the rebels to him by forgiving them, that they could be reconciled. Forgiveness was offered. He had made himself known intimately to the extent that he would come by his own spirit and bind believers to him life to life. And on that day of Pentecost, the newborn community of Jesus made that news known. That's what overflowed that day. Empowered by the Spirit, they made God known. But that identity as those who know, and that mission as those who make Him known, wasn't new on the day of Pentecost. We might say that it came to fruition on that day. That'd be good. But the mission had been given long, long before that. In fact, uh, on that Pentecost day, it was bearing first fruits, and Peter and all of the disciples and all of Israel on that day of fruit bearing, they were gathered to remember the day that this identity and this mission had first been given, the first day of Pentecost. And that is the day we are reading about that we've come to in our study of Exodus, Exodus chapters 19 and 20. So let's look at that day today. As we're considering uh, in Exodus how God formed and forms his people, the meaning of the day of Pentecost communicates the heart of God's intentions for people. So through through uh, the first verse in chapter 19, Numbers chapter 33, we see Moses records that it was exactly 50 days from the night of the Passover to the covenant made with God at Mount Sinai. So those 50 days, that 50, that's why the festival was called Pentecost, which is Greek for 50. 50 days Passover to Sinai. And we read that there in the wilderness, God brought them to Mount Sinai, and the whole nation was camped around it. It's a massive stone, and they're encamped. And remember from last week, we saw that God provided water gushing from the rock at the foot of the mountain, even as he was feeding them day by day with manna. So he is providing for them to be with him there at Sinai. Well, so much happens in this covenant moment that we could spend the rest of the summer with them there at the mountain. But I want to focus on how God frames the significance of that moment. Chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my own special possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Well, what words those are. 
think, think of it. Think of this. This one speaking is the one who shaped the earth with his own hands and who breathed life into inert matter. That is, who set hearts beating, um, hearts of birds and beasts and people. This is the one who put rationality in the minds, into humans, made us able to love and to care, to feel joy, to feel sadness, to find things ironic and funny. This is the one who set the earth in motion, giving day, giving night, giving the seasons, summer, winter, spring, and fall. This is the one who caused grain to grow, fruit to grow, the rain to fall, the one who caused all of this to be. And now also, this is the one who not only made it, but by his power keeps it going to this moment, keeps it going, keeps this earth turning, keeps this earth at the right distance from the sun, keeps matter from unmaking, from going back to cold and lifeless. And in this moment at Sinai, that one speaks, maker of all, and says, all the earth is mine. And you've seen how I proved that in my dealings with the Egyptians. Now, understand that though all the earth is mine, and every people, every tribe and nation in it, I want you to know me personally. Out of all the earth, I want you to know me personally, to be my own special possession. Treasure is another translation of that. I brought you here. I brought you to myself. And now I'm going to show you how to know me. It's a remarkable moment. I doubt that ancient people were as naive as moderns are. When so many of us think that we can just learn all there is to know about God in a moment. I and mean, this was a big um, emphasis, a, a confusion, I'd say, errant teaching of the 20th century, still with us, that a person could have such an encounter with God that they could come to know all that can be known in a single moment, a single encounter. No more need to read the Word. No more need to study. No more need to open one's heart and mind to God, to His transforming touch, because it's all been done, because we've arrived. The infinite God, the one on whom no person can look and live, could be fully known in a moment. Obviously, errant. I don't, I don't know if any of the Israelites thought that after this encounter at Sinai, they would be perfected and have no more struggle with rebellion. I doubt it. But God wants to eliminate that line of thought uh, right here at the outset. He indicates here that there's more to this. He indicates that knowing Him and being His own means ongoing life with Him. He is unending. He is higher than our imaginations can reach, deeper 
then we can plumb. But he wants his people to be near him and to live with him so that they can know him. It's not that, okay, now you've had an encounter and now you know me completely. Live with me. There's a, a British proverb that captures this idea. Come live with me and you'll know me. Come live with me and know me. So even the experiences of the past, even the radical experiences of deliverance from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, crossing the desert, even this moment of, at Mount Sinai will fade. It will fade in their thoughts. It will fade in their hearts because dust like us cools off. Cools off, we forget. So God says, if you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all peoples. So I hope you can hear the intent that, that comes to fruition in Jesus. This is the intent. Hold fast to me. Believe in me. Receive my word as if my very words were your next breath. Hold so tight to me that you know that life comes from me moment by moment. And if you do, you will be what a human was made to be. The precious possession, the intimate friends of God. If you will obey my voice and keep, hold fast my covenant, you shall be my own. In short, be with me and you'll live. And this is what Jesus prayed for his disciples. Now this is eternal life. John 17, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And if they do this, if they embrace the original plan for humanity, to know God, to live with Him, then they will have a special role in the world. God says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. If you live the design for human beings, then you will be to me a kingdom of priests to the world. Protestants don't know much about priests. We, we became uncomfortable with that. But we have a whole Bible that's full of priests, so we can get a grasp on it. They were men that God chose and that the people acknowledged as representatives. That's their role. God chose one tribe within Israel to serve the role of representing the whole nation in their sacrifices, bringing the sacrifices of the people. God gave them ritual actions that would acknowledge people are sinful, people are not righteous, we inherently sin. And these actions would visibly communicate the desire to be clean. But even then, even in doing these prescribed actions that, that indicated the need for cleansing, they knew they were dependent on the mercy of God. They knew that it was because God decided to do so that he would give mercy. So trusting in God's mercy, the priests would draw near to God in the tabernacle in order to represent the people behind them. And then, turning, they would declare God's forgiveness to the people and would teach his law, teach his ways. That's what a priest does. 
So what the Levitical priests were for the nation, for the people of Israel, God says that whole people would be for the world. So this nation that lived with God and would know him was to be a priest for the world of nations. And their job was to draw near to him, representing humanity, asking for mercy through sacrificial acts, and then speaking forgiveness to the world. So let me say this again. Israel was to be like a priest for the nations, drawing near to God, representing humanity, asking for mercy through sacrifice, and then speaking God's forgiveness to the world. That, that sounds like a familiar description. That's their charge at Pentecost, there in the wilderness. But it wasn't until the second Pentecost, the other Pentecost, that it was done because Jesus had fulfilled it. Jesus had fulfilled that original charge. He was Israel. He fulfilled Israel's charge as a priest people for the world. So Peter, in his first letter, says that Christians, both Israelites and non-Israelites, Jews and Gentiles, enter this holy priesthood by being joined to Jesus. Because uh, Jesus represented us to the Father, and now His Spirit in us empowers our proclamation of forgiveness. Now we fulfill that role because His Spirit is in us. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. He's echoing this Exodus moment, so that you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. In other words, by knowing God, God's people are ourselves, we, God's people uh, being ourselves, um, we declare who He is. We declare His wonderful deeds. By knowing God, we declare. And this was the original charge for Israel, and Jesus brought it to fruition, and we now participate in it. So going back to Mount Sinai, God was telling Israel that they are to make God known to the nations by knowing Him, by living lives in reference to Him, day by day, by receiving His mercy, receiving His forgiveness, being merciful to one another. In that way, they would make Him known, make Him known as the merciful God. So it's to that end of knowing God and making Him known that God gives them His covenant law here at Sinai. In verse 9, the Lord tells Moses, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. By giving them the law in this way, in this visible, public, audible way, God gives Israel reverence for his word. So these weren't the words of Moses. Moses didn't just conjure this up out of his own head. These were God's own words. He is helping his people understand 
what Moses is as a prophet and priest. He's helping them see that being his people means knowing him through the ways that he has established, which are the ways that he can be known. God knows how he can be known, and that's what he's giving to his people. So it's God himself then who set down that restoring his creation, restoring this whole world, would come by restoring knowledge of him. That, that is real, true, live-in-the-moment knowledge of him. Uh, God heals and he restores his people by bringing them close to him. And he taught that living consciously with reference to him, uh, consciously with reference to his nearness, in obedience to him, is how we come to know him. Accepting that he's there, accepting that what he said is true. And this is, of course, true for us as well, not just for Israel. But we have been born in the fruitful time of the fulfillment. Hebrews 12, 18, as we conclude. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and cloud and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers entreat that no further messages be spoken to them. He's talking about this moment at Sinai. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews says, we are not at a distance beholding what is too great for us. We can know God as beloved children, adopted children, members of his own family, with his own spirit in us, guaranteeing favor, guaranteeing his favor. He was teaching ancient Israel that they had his favor and he tells us now that the whole world has his favor. The whole world. He has peace on earth for us. And it is the special task of Christians to enjoy that favor, to celebrate uh, his kindness and grace, to live in it, to live with joyful freedom so that the world may know that God's favor is extended through Jesus, because of Jesus, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is our, our role as his people, to know him so that we can make him known. Let me pray that. Father, we ask today that we might know you, that as we eat your word, as we receive your word, we might know you. And to do so more and more. Lord, we, we acknowledge that 
uh, we, we're not content with what we've known in the past. We're not content with uh, memories of knowing you. But we want to actively be involved with you, to draw close to you, to be changed. Lord, use us. Use each one listening here to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.